Welcome. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Or maybe I should just be introducing myself because I haven't been here for a really long time. <laughs> it's really good uh, to be back. It's good to be back on the saddle. It's good to be um, able to have the opportunity to uh, present the word to you this morning and, uh, and to be back on a consistent basis as the summer months have, for me, winded down and uh, ready to go. I'm up here a little early, and the reason why I'm up here early is because we are doing communion um, this morning, so we will be doing the sermon, and then we'll do the communion um, after that. Um, next week, I'm going to start a series, an eight-week series that's going to take place, but uh, this morning, we're just going to do a standalone sermon in regards to prayer, as our prayer event takes place tomorrow um, at 5 a.m. in the morning. We're just going to open up the Word of God and see what uh, the Bible says specifically about prayer. And if you look at the topic of the sermon, it's figure uh, four myths people believe that prevent them from praying. That's the topic this morning. Um, the goal uh, this morning is to, we um, pray, but do we pray enough? Or we don't pray at all. Ask the question, why? Is there anything that is preventing us is there anything that's going on inside of our mind that is preventing us from doing more or preventing us from even doing it at all? There are some things that are going on in our mind, and those things are intuitive. In other words, they are things that we don't really think about, but it's something that makes us not want to take the first step or something that makes us not want to take a further step. And what those are is they're just myths that says, you know, this is really what prayer is, and this is what really prayer takes, and it just prevents us from stepping forward. So we're going to look at those four myths, four myths that uh, just come to our mind, come to our thoughts, come to our actions in regards that keeps us and pulls us back from prayer. One myth, number one, is that prayer is easy. Prayer is easy. I dropped my daughter off at San Diego for college um, last weekend. That's where I was at last weekend. And my wife uh, had a, a party at her school. She had to work until about 2.30 in the afternoon and on Thursday. So she came home and says, all right, we're going to drive all the way down there, and we're going to show up there at 7 o'clock in the morning according to GPS, but we're going to go all the way through the night. And I'm like, yeah, oh, absolutely, let's, let's do it. So sure enough, we left at 2.30 in the afternoon, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and we showed up at 7 o'clock in the morning. I will tell you that I drove during the graveyard hours, and it was not easy. And it took a lot of coffee. And I don't know if you drink coffee during the graveyard hours, but it always comes back up into the back of your throat, and it starts to burn and starts to roast. And uh, as it's sitting there, it doesn't feel good, but you still try to keep driving. You still are urgent to keep going. Why? Because your eyes need to stay awake. So you turn the music up, you turn the music down, you do all these little sorts of things to keep you awake as my daughters, some of them fell asleep, my wife fell asleep. During my times of driving, I was on a loan. I'll tell you, it was not easy. Sure enough, after we dropped her off, Saturday came, and we were going to rent a motel on the way back um, because we knew that we were going to leave late. 8.30 p.m. came, and it says, okay, well, let's go rent a motel. It's like, well, why would we rent a motel for 140 bucks, sleep eight hours, and then drive again? That doesn't even sound like fun. Let's drive all the way through <laughs> and get there, 16 hours, and get there at noon. Let me tell you, I didn't learn my lesson the first time. It wasn't easy took a little bit more coffee. But there was an urgency. And what was the urgency? The urgency was, I'm not going to spend 140, 150 bucks on a motel just to sleep for eight hours. We're going to make this happen. And we survived it. But it was not easy, very difficult. 
the greatest lessons we learn from prayer is by looking at Jesus. Let's read a couple passages. Luke 6, 12. It was at that time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Matthew 26, 38. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus prayed when he really didn't feel like praying. Why? Or did he feel like praying in the night? No, I'd say he didn't. But he prayed when he didn't feel like praying. Why did he pray when he didn't feel like praying? Because something was driving him. It was not being a convenient. It was not because he desired. It's because he knew the urgency of prayer. And because he knew the urgency of prayer, he was motivated to do it when everybody else fell asleep. When everybody else rested. According to these passages, the disciples couldn't even stay awake. He says, it needs to be done, therefore I will do it because I feel the weight, I feel the urgency. Prayerless people pray when it is convenient, They pray when it's comfortable, they pray when the time is right, and they pray when they feel like it. And that kind of prayer easily waters prayer down, waters prayer out, and then all of a sudden you're not praying at all, because all of a sudden it's not convenient. It's not praying when you feel like it. It's not praying when the time is right, because the time is never right. But those who are dedicated to prayer, those who are passionate about prayer, pray because in their mind they know that they must pray. Pray because in their mind, because they're urgent, because people's souls are lost, not saved, and it's our responsibility to make sure they're petitioned before God. Prayer in a sense of urgency that says things have to be done, and who's going to stand in the gap? And God has called me to stand in the gap. Therefore, they don't pray when they necessarily want to pray. The concept, and we don't say this out loud, that prayer is easy, but it's a fast, slippery slope to pull prayer out of your life. But to say prayer is not easy, prayer is going to take sweat, prayer is going to take time, prayer is going to take work, will thrust you into further prayer. Hebrews 5, 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears. Jesus did what? He offered up prayers and supplications with loud cryings and tears. There's nothing easy about that. But what takes place, he understood the urgency. And when he understood the urgency, he went into prayer. And then the urgency increased during prayer. And when the urgency increased during prayer, his prayer increased. How much? To the wee hours of the night. To the consistent prayers through the day. To a prayer life that literally drove him. Most Christians operate on a shallow level of prayer. And Christ is asking us to go into deep levels of intercession, and nothing's going to motivate us except urgency. Number A, letter A, if you are going to be a person of prayer, you must make commitments, set goals, be faithful, and make it happen, because your flesh will always fight against it. We are designed to be, our, our attitudes are, we want to be comfortable people, and we do most things in our life to be more comfortable 
when it comes to prayer, God's not saying, I want you to be comfortable. I want you to be aggressive. Do it when everybody else is not doing it. And then that's when your prayer ministry will grow. That's when it will grow a fire and make it hot. Prayer is not hard to understand. It's, it's hard to do. Myth number two, prayer takes time. Now, this is a myth that um, most people grab and, and do not step forward to pray. I mean, we talk about prayer. Next week, we have five days of corporate prayer. We're going to pray for 50 hours total, and it's easy to look at, well, we just don't have time in our week to um, pray at all. One hour, two hours, three hours, four hours. Um, looking at time. Can't do it. There's the restriction. Um, logic works against us in regards to prayer. And this is the way logic works. Logic works is if I pray 10 minutes, my day is 10 minutes shorter. If I pray 30 minutes, then my day is 30 minutes shorter. And if I go crazy and pray an hour, then my day is an hour shorter. And, you know, if I'm like Charles Spurgeon, prays three hours a day in the morning before he even started his day, then my day would be three hours shorter. That's the way that logic works. But that's not the way that prayer works. Prayer does not take time. Prayer literally creates time. Nobody understood this more than Martin Luther. Martin Luther prayed two hours a day. He goes, before I ever walk into the day, I want to pray two hours before I walk out. And he did that every morning. He says, I pray two hours a day unless I know that my day is going to be extremely busy, then I'll pray three hours a day. His logic is there's so much that has to be completed that I can't do it on my own. And if I'm going to walk out into this world, I need the time to get it done. Therefore, I need more time in prayer rather than less. Well, how does this work? Well, those who pray well, what do they do? They study well. Those who pray well, they, they think well. Those who pray well make decisions well. Those who pray well do what? They manage relationships well. What are the things that suck time? What are the things that rob time? If you just look at it, our study, the way we think, the way we process, the decisions we make, broken relationships, all those things rob us of time. God says, here, let me do you a favor. Spend time in prayer so you'll think the way you need to think, so you'll do the way you need to do, so the wisdom will come to you when everything comes at you and discernment will take place that is going to be healthy, good, and produce time rather than take time out of your day. Psalms 18.32 says, It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. Charles Spurgeon was another person, as I mentioned before, who was completely invested into prayer. And if you look at Charles Spurgeon's life, um, before, just give you a little bit of um, history in Charles Spurgeon's life, before he was 20 years old, he, he uh, preached 600 sermons. Um, <laughs> I'm 45, and I haven't even <laughs> gotten close to 600 sermons. He read six books a day, and when he read these six books a day, he can actually go years later into his library, had 12,000 books in it, and pick out his book and says, oh yeah, I remember what that says, and explain it to you all the way through what it says, because that's how sharp his mind was. He preached an average of 10 times a week. I am exhausted preaching two times a week. He founded an orphanage with Hudson Taylor. He built a seminary training 900 students. During his time, he's the largest independent congregation. His church is the largest independent congregation in the world. And through his lifetime, he preached to over 10 million people in his lifetime. A person walked up to him when he was living in, and they asked Charles Spurgeon, and he goes, Charles Spurgeon, how could one person accomplish so much? 
Without batting an eye, Charles Spurgeon says, well, see, that's where you get it wrong. There's not one person. There's two. And one of them is a really big God. And many people don't take him to work with them in the morning. See, what takes place is we walk into our work, we walk into our field, we start our day thinking, well, if things are going to get done, we're going to have to do it. And we're working on our own strength. We're working on our own power. We're working on our own will with our own mind. Charles Spurgeon took this verse seriously. It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. And he also took this verse seriously. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened from you. Prayer takes nothing away from you not even time. Letter A, spend ample time. This would be the challenge. Spend ample time in prayer because you need time to get everything done in your day. Now remember, logic doesn't work that way. Logic says if I spend time in prayer, it takes time away from my day, but prayer works the opposite of that. God works the opposite of that. Spend time in prayer so you would have enough time, energy, be effective, be efficient, be driven, make the decisions right during your day. That's the way that prayer works. What was a person who leaves in the morning without with thinking that he can the only thing that's going to be accomplished is what he can do? But happy is a person who leaves in the morning that says, if anything's going to be accomplished for strength, glory, God's glory, I need to walk out here with God rather than even by myself. Myth number three that keeps us away from prayer is that prayer is, is boring. Many people say, well, that's not a myth, that's an opinion. It's boring to you, um, it's boring to me, but it's not boring to you. Um, that's an opinion, it's my opinion, and that would be your opinion. Um, it's, well, let me show you that it's not necessarily an opinion. Um, Friday night, my wife went out uh, walking with our dogs, and we have three dogs now, not, not one. We have a little dog, and then we have two larger dogs. And when they went walking, they went walking in the evening, and they were um, a little late. And uh, when it comes a little late, the skunks start to come out. And my dogs think that they would just be great and awesome to chase. So all three of the dogs do what? Are aggressive to do what? To get that skunk. Sure enough, they chase them. And when they get hit by the skunk, they roll on the ground, they get up, and then they chase them again. And they roll on the ground, they get up, and they chase them again. There's no brains going on inside of my dogs. So my wife calls me and says, there's skunks all over the place, and uh, your dogs are, have been hit and they won't stop. Well, you come down and get them. So my daughter, Maya, and I jumped on our gator and drove down to our farm fields, in the, um, not our farm fields, but where she was walking, drove down as fast as we could. We did not pick them up. We told them, you follow us, just to let you know, because they stunk really bad, and drove, and then they followed us to, back to our house. So as soon as I got to our house, I opened the shop door. I said, get in the shop. They went in the shop, and I said, I'm not talking to any of their dogs until morning. You can live with your stink. I don't even care. I was in a mood, and I was not very happy with them. Shut the door. Says, ah, went, sat on my chair. Very comfortable. Grace Lally um, came over that evening, who was Maya's friend. And uh, when she came over that evening, we told her a story. Yeah, our dogs are, got hit by the skunks, and they smell pretty bad. She goes, oh, I'd love to wash those dogs. And I'm saying, I'm not washing those dogs. But she said, oh, I'd love to wash those dogs. I think it would be fun to take, you know, tomato juice and spread all over the dogs and scrub them all down and those things. And, and uh, I just like, yeah, yeah, right. But my wife heard her. And when my wife heard her, she goes, 
you know, I know you're not going to wash the dogs till tomorrow, but Grace says she would love to wash the dogs. Maybe you should wash the dogs tonight because you have somebody to help you. And I said, all right, I'm going to wash the dog. Are you serious, Grace? She said, yeah, I'm serious. So we go out, and uh, sure enough, we grab this tomato juice. Maya, me, my younger daughter, me, and Grace. We pour this tomato juice, and we scrub in this tomato juice, in, and the stench is completely horrific. And I am just got my nose club as I'm scrubbing, Maya has her nose closed as she's scrubbing, and Grace goes, ah, oh, this is so much fun. Look at this. This is so much, so much fun. And we're, my, Maya and I look at each other and say, I think that stench is getting to her mind and her, her, her thought process. And um, now that's an opinion. She says it's fun. We don't say it's fun. That is an opinion because you have a subject, and when you have a subject, we both approach the subject in a different set of mind, a different mindset, and we get to make decisions in regards to that mindset that we have. Of course, she says, I'll even come back again if they get sprayed. Well, that's an opinion. My opinion was complete and direct opposite. But when you start talking about standing in the presence of God, there is no opinion. There's not opinions. Let's look at the um, Psalms 484. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. This is David making a statement, a statement that is a fact, that it is a better for us to be in Christ's courts than 1,000 years elsewhere. Fact. When we go into the presence of God, we are opening in prayer. We are opening up the mind of God. We're opening up the heart of God. We're opening up the thought of God. We're opening up the will of God. And we're opening up the hands of God as he says, I want to serve those who are in prayer. He has not designed prayer to be boring. But if it's in our mindset that it's going to be boring, I'll tell you when we show up, we're not going to find the richness and the depth and the beauty of what prayer is until we can get past that mindset. Because we work to get into the presence of God and inside the presence of God, according to Scripture, is fullness of joy. And that is the avenue of prayer. That is the reason of prayer. That is the purpose of prayer, is to get into the presence of God to receive the fullness of joy, to receive his mind, heart, thoughts, will, and hands, and joy will be produced. So if this is the case, when we're walking into prayer, it's, it's, it's our shortcomings, and it's something that we need to overcome, and something we need to work for, something we need to have a mindset for, to say, I am going to be driven to get to the point where I walk out of this corporate prayer room with excitement, or I'll walk out in this personal time of prayer with joy and excitement. Because if your mindset is, I'm meeting God, then your joy will grow. Prayer is not boring. It's a myth to say that it is. Number four, myth four, private prayer is more important than corporate prayer. People ask, which is more important, private prayer or corporate prayer? The answer is both. Um, a lot of people look at, okay, you got corporate prayer, you have private prayer, I'm going to invest into one. The problem is that if you invest into private prayer and you take one leg and you put it into private prayer, rather than the two legs on corporate prayer, because that's the way that it's supposed to work, then your private prayer is going to start limping. <laughs> In other words, it's going to start going down. The excitement, the joy, the strength, the power 
um, is going to go down. And the reason why is because God made us to be corporate people. And if you look at the Word all the way through Jesus' life, He never talked to, very rarely talked to, individual people. He always talked to corporate people. He talked to the 12 disciples. And as He's talking to the 12 disciples, He is then challenging them in, to do what? In a group. Do this. This is the setting that He always talked to them. And as He's in the setting to always talk to them in regards in a corporate setting, why would He do that? The reason why he would do that is because he looked at Peter and said, upon this rock, you, I will build my church. What does church mean? What does the Greek word church mean? Ekklesia. It means a gathering of people. Upon this rock, I will build an assembly. I will build a gathering of people. God's drive, God's passion, God's push is to do what? Is to build individual people? No, it's to build a gathering of people. And he builds individual people for the purpose of building a gathering of people. So if he builds you individually, what's your responsibility? Well, I've got to build the gathering. So if you look at this in the context of prayer, well, I'm going to prayer in my personal life, and I'm going to invest, but I'm not going to invest into prayer in my corporate life. What's going to take place is God's vision, God's mission, God's direction of what he's trying to build through you is not specifically happening. Because everything that takes place in private prayer needs to thrust us into the harvest of corporate prayer. And corporate prayer's design is to make private prayer come alive. Because if private prayer is the only thing that takes place, what will take place is that private prayer will go down. Acts 1.14, the disciples understood that Christ worked in the corporate setting, so what the first thing they do? They started working in the corporate setting. They all joined together constantly in prayer. They were used to it when Jesus was with them. And as they were used to it when Jesus was with them, they said, well, this is the practice that we've done for three years. This is the practice we will continue to do. And then what took place? Their numbers started to increase. They started to grow. Um, since Christ is no longer with them in person, the early believers, each one of them, pressed into faith together. And as they impressed into faith together, their passion and their fire grew. So what's more important, private prayer or corporate prayer? Both are extremely important. But if you're invested into only private, it's going to go down. Why? Because God requires the corporate and even speaks more of the corporate setting than he does the private setting. Letter A, praying corporately sets the private heart aflame with thought, reflection, vision, and interest. There are more commandments in Scripture in the New Testament of praying together than there are praying individually. The reason why is because God wants to work through our thoughts. He wants us to reflect when we pray. He wants us to get vision when we pray. And he wants us to have interest when we pray. And what happens is if we go into a corporate setting, how many thoughts do you have? You have all of us praying in one mind. And as we're praying in one mind, we're getting others' thoughts. We're getting others' interest. We're getting others' reflection. We're getting others' vision. And we're getting it with God being in the center. 
What's taken place? We are growing in our prayer life in the process of being in corporate prayer. And what's taken place as a result of that is our private prayer is being set on fire as a result. Christ came to change the world through his church, not change the world through individuals. Therefore, private prayer is supposed to thrust us into corporate prayer, and corporate prayer is supposed to energize us for private prayer. Both of them are important. Number five, here's the challenge. Just be a person who prays. Make commitments, set goals, follow through, and don't neglect corporate prayer. You want the answer? I have been praying a little, I want to pray more. Or I haven't been praying at all and I want to pray more. How do you do it? Um, As you can see that prayer is hard. Uh, If prayer is hard, things need to take place. What needs to take place? We need to make commitments. Making commitments is I will statement. This is what I am going to do. I will wake up in the morning, every morning before I walk out to work. That's my commitment to meet with God before I walk out. See what you're doing is you're making a commitment. And then you're setting a goal. What's a goal? A goal is just a commitment that is written down and can be evaluated. So you can look back, am I doing it or am I not doing it? The commitment, the goal, following through does what? When we start following through, that is when we increase in prayer. We do not increase in prayer unless we do follow through. In fact, the more we pray, the more we want to pray. The less we pray, the less we want to pray. And then the third one, or the fourth one, is we cannot neglect corporate prayer because the consequences of neglecting corporate prayer is neglecting God's vision, God's mission of what he wants to accomplish in the world, and it's not through individuals, it's through a church, an assembly. And as we pray together, as we're thrown out together, as we have vision together, mission together, ministry together, we get to see God's hand at work And as a result, our private prayer comes on fire. Therefore, make commitments, follow through, and don't neglect corporate prayer. We're going to take communion now, and one promise that um, command that God has given us as we take communion, he says, this is my broken body and my spilt blood. As often as you eat this bread, and as often as you drink this cup, remember me. And he's speaking specifically of his broken body that's on the cross, specifically of his spilt blood that was for our sins. And we need to remember him in regards to that. I'm just going to throw one more thing in there, is that Jesus sweat blood before he did it, and he did it in prayer. Jesus labored in prayer for his disciples. Jesus labored in prayer for us. Jesus committed himself on all the way through the nights to make sure prayer takes place for the purpose of his vision and the purpose of his ministry and the purpose of us. I want to throw that in there as well. That when you come up and you eat the bread and drink the cup, remember the sacrifice, the broken body, remember the spilt blood, but remember the commitment that Jesus had to prayer. And then make a commitment of response to him. Am I going to do what you called me to do? Let's pray. God, I just pray that we will be a people of prayer a people that are committed to private prayer, God, before we walk out into our work day, people that wake up early in the morning when everyone else is asleep, a person that prays consistently through the day as the busyness goes on, a person that consistently has you on your mind and on your tongue. 
God, we just pray that we would be devoted to private prayer. We pray, God, we'll also be devoted to corporate prayer. God, you have chosen to change the world through your church. And God, we are a part of your church, and the avenue that you want us to step forward into is corporately praying together. I just pray, God, that as a body, as a church body, we will be committed to this. And as a result, God, that you would thrust us in the harvest and we'd be prepared to do what you've called us to do. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, God, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.